Hello, soulmate. So the weekend was good. It sure was. Was your weekend good? It was quick. We need to kind of like get get like Japan and experiment with that four day. Get weekend. like who? Japan <laughs> and experiment with that four day weekend because okay. it goes by so fast. I can get down with that. <laughs> Me too. All right, plenty to discuss today on this Monday. Welcome to Foxhole's Black Report. We're following the latest on how Black America feels about the Biden administration and. How Snoop Dogg, the dog father, along with Master P, are becoming the kings of breakfast foods. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelia Corte. Plus, why prosecutors are looking to garnish R. Kelly's earnings and the black-owned rideshare app that's making headlines. They're the stories that impact our people. We're going to bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So topping our conversation for today, a pregnant school bus driver in Milwaukee is being hailed as a hero for her quick actions that saved students from a bus fire. Now, according to the Milwaukee police, Munich Williams, who is eight months pregnant, you see her here, noticed smoke and a strange smell uh, Williams quickly pulled over and successfully evacuated all 37 students on board. Despite facing challenges due to smoke, Williams expressed relief that no one was hurt and she even returned to the route to work like the next day. Now, the cause of the fire is currently under investigation. A hero, uh, you know, listen. And that's exactly what sheroes look like without their yes. cape. Uh, you mentioned 37 students mm -hmm. that she rescued, um, ranging from kindergarten to high school, mm -hmm. right? And so, you know, imagine how out of sorts some of the younger kids might have been, right? And so to be not just a calming and reassuring force, but to get them to safety quickly, not easy to do uh, yeah. in a flash. And remember, right after she uh, got off the bus, after checking the bus to see if everybody was off, that's when the bus erupted in flames. Yeah, it was, and the video went uh, viral across social media, and it was just a moment where you say, my God, you know, that could have been uh, disastrous. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a hero, a shiro, eight months pregnant. Mm -hmm. So, of, of course, I'm sure she was concerned about not only her safety, but the safety and the well-being of her unborn child, but returned to work the next day. She said her mommy Amazing. instincts, yeah. her mommy instincts Absolutely. kicked in. Absolutely. Good for her. Well, speaking of mommy instincts, a Florida mom's car caught fire with her children inside as she allegedly shoplifted. 24-year-old Alicia Moore allegedly took part in an hour-long shoplifting spree at a Dillard store, leaving her kids unattended in the car. Witnesses and shoppers sprang into action, rescuing the children. One child suffered first-degree burns to the face and ears and was immediately taken to a local hospital. Moore now faces charges of aggravated child neglect and arson, along with additional warrants in other counties. You know, sometimes you hear people say that uh, they just don't need to be parents. Mm -hmm. Some people just don't need kids, don't need to be parents. And reports continue to say that she was actually coming out of the store with all of the stolen goods uh, in her hands, saw the uh, car engulfed in flames and dropped everything, and I guess maybe went to help you know, the witnesses who were already in the act of rescuing these babies. Um, and it could have been uh, much worse. And I just can only imagine that they'll probably throw the book at this young lady. Yeah, I mean, it's really unfortunate. I mean, this seems to be a textbook example of child neglect. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. You know, she ended up getting caught by loss prevention. Um, and she likely didn't have any clue what was coming next. Mm -hmm. it, the car that the kids were in was reported stolen. Um, 
Uh, and so not only was, was it stolen and, and obviously totaled because it, it caught up in flames, but, you know, just poor choice after poor choice. And so hope that, you know, she gets the support that she needs to be a better mother to those kids. And I hope those kids heal from what probably was a very traumatic experience. Can you, can you imagine that? Yeah, the, the physical, you know, with the suffering that, that they'll have to do physically and, and the mental. Yeah. Yeah. All right, tensions flared at uh, Setakoy uh, Elementary School, that's in North Hollywood, as a protest unfolded against a planned Pride Month assembly. Now, the protest centered around objections to a book, The Great Big Book of Families, which acknowledges diverse family structures. L.A. Uh, Unified School District Superintendent Alberto M. Uh, Carvalho expressed concern over threats towards LGBTQ individuals and emphasized the importance of unity. The L.A. Police Department intervened to restore and then maintain the peace. The Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada canceled a scheduled drag show after the Pentagon declared that such events should not be hosted at Air Force facilities. The show was initially approved to celebrate Pride Month, but was cut due to the Pentagon policy. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin confirmed during a congressional hearing that drag events are not funded by the department. In accordance with his policy, commanders have been instructed to either cancel or relocate drag events to off-base locations. Now, Representative Matt Gates has requested details and potential consequences regarding previous drag shows held at Air Force bases or approved by the U.S. military. Yes, yeah, so I remember we, we mentioned this uh, fairly quickly. I think we were signing off and just ushering in uh, Pride Month, with, which is uh, this month. But there have been some ongoing protests about these shows not being able to be held on base after they've already been on base. So, you know, someone has kind of conjured up, if you will, this argument. They've questioned, you know, if the Department of Defense is funding these shows, uh, uh, you know, should they be on base? And really the department came back and said, this is just, a, has, has, and we want this to continue to be a support for our, our gay uh, military uh, personnel, especially inside of a Pride Month. So this has been ongoing. It's very interesting how it all of a sudden became a state. Mm -hmm, yeah. And you know, when I, when I read this story right away, I wondered, well, would a talent show be approved on a base? And if so, aside from the makeup and costumes, what's the difference between a drag performance and a talent show? Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, there's, there's a tradition of military personnel entertaining themselves. There's a tradition of celebrities visiting military personnel on bases around the world performing for them. And so, you know, if people don't like it, then you'd like to say, well, just don't attend. And so, but it seems to me that Secretary uh, Lloyd Austin don't want that smoke from Republicans in the House, right. uh, which is currently under their control. And so, you know, he's saying, y'all, you know, for now, you know, don't host them on military bases or relocate them off the bases. Uh, I, I would imagine the secretary has uh, uh, much bigger priorities uh, before the House of Representatives right now. Indeed. All right, as we uh, enter or prepare to enter into election season, many black Americans are dissatisfied with President Joe Biden's policies. This is according to a recent poll. 
About 49% believe his policies have not benefited black people, while only 28% feel personally helped. Despite diversity efforts, Biden has struggled to fulfill major campaign promises on student loan debt relief and police reform. Enthusiasm for the next election is lacking among black Americans, with over half expressing anger at the possibility of Donald Trump's return and unfavorable, unfavorable views towards Republican candidates uh, like Ron DeSantis and Tim Scott, along with Nikki Haley. Now, the Democratic coalition uh, relies on the crucial support of black voters, making their dissatisfaction very significant. Vice President Kamala Harris has announced steps taken by the Biden administration to combat racial bias in the home appraisal industry. New measures will prevent lower valuations for homes owned by people of color by addressing biased algorithms. Consumers will have easier avenues to appeal potentially unfair valuations. Analysis of millions of appraisal reports exposed consistent undervaluation of homes owned by people of color. The administration aims to eliminate algorithmic bias, promote diversity, and provide anti-bias training for appraisers. These actions seek a more equitable home valuation system. I feel like uh, the Biden administration is quickly checking down the list to see to make good on, you know, some of these promises, you know, student loan uh, relief, uh, police brutality, uh, uh, you know, home buying discrimination, as we uh, just talked about here. Look, I, this has been ongoing for a while. So there's a lot of work to be done mm -hmm. to make good on how much and how long blacks have seemingly been uh, discriminated against. Uh, there's plenty of research. Uh, some potential home uh, buyers and or owners who are looking to sell have uh, taken it in their own hands to conduct, you know, undercover uh, studies and, and, and acts to kind of prove this. And so um, you're really behind the eight ball on this because this has been ongoing for a while and the stats and the research, uh, they've been, these companies have been called out and nothing has really been done much to address it. Yeah, but what a difference a president makes, what a difference an administration makes. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, Marsha Fudge, uh, along with Vice President Harris, have really been leading on this issue. So it's one thing to campaign on it and make promises. It's another thing to deliver. And this is a big deal. This will uh, help us to facilitate more generational wealth mm -hmm. in our communities. Uh, and you better believe the other side doesn't want to have any part of it. They don't want this to happen. Um, and so when we look at those poll numbers in that earlier st study where 49% of black Americans believe that Biden's policies have not made a difference for black people and only 28% feel that Biden's policies have helped them personally, well, let's, let's keep in mind it's been two years. You know, it's it's been two years that he's been in office. You mentioned that you know the, a lot of these issues didn't just show up overnight. Redlining has existed, you know, longer than we've been alive, right? And so, you know, these things take time. And so, I read that poll and I, I say that well, lots of Black Americans aren't feeling the effects of what they have done. And so. I would say give well, it a little bit more time. And we talked about this last week, and we had just a slight bit of a rub because I believe that you just have to watch 
the, the, the gravity of the promises that you make, especially if you say a lot of these issues were in existence or the, the Biden administration inherited uh, a lot of these issues, then be very careful as to what you promise because folks are going to hold you to it. In particular, I think we were talking about debt relief. They're going to mm -hmm. hold this man to debt relief, regardless of, of, of how hard his push has been uh, to get it done and to get it through. And I think I ended that conversation with saying, you know, under promise, over deliver. Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but we know we also got to keep an eye out for, you know, the people that are obstructing progress, mm -hmm. right? You know, um, I don't think Biden and Harris are a problem as much as we have some problems in the Senate. You know, where, where's that heat? Where's that smoke for Senate Democrats? Mm -hmm. You know, where's that heat? Where's that smoke for Senate Republicans, right? That's where a lot of this agenda is getting caught up. Yeah, but I think the soulmates ain't trying to hear it. They want that debt relief. All just, right. Just trying to tell the truth. Let's move on here. Bill Cosby is facing sexual assault lawsuit, a sexual assault lawsuit filed by a former Playboy model by the name of Victoria Valentino. Now, the civil suit filed in response to a new California law alleges an incident of drugging and rape that took place back in 1969. Valentino credits E. Jean Carroll's recent civil court win against Donald Trump for giving her the confidence to pursue legal action against Cosby. Cosby's spokesperson dismissed the lawsuit as a cash grab, suggesting an attempt to tarnish another black male entertainer. Cosby recently released from prison due to a non-prosecution agreement has remained secluded since his release. And it's important to note, you know, this California law, it gives accusers a whole year, a whole year window to seek damages, no matter how long their alleged crimes took place. And so, you know, a lot of folks see this as a good thing, um, you know, sort of help help to help being addressed and promoted and supported by the Me Too movement. You know, there are other people that, that see this as, you know, sort of, you know, going after, you know, people. Um, you know, long after their alleged offenses, right? And, you know, uh, uh, you know, Bill Cosby has a laundry list of, of people that have made allegations. Uh, and so it's going to be interesting to see how this thing develops. It will absolutely be interesting. Well, up next, rideshare drivers packing heat to help keep you safe. Oh, wow. The new service that has made its way to Florida mm. and how others mm. could follow suit. That's all coming up next. So mates, you're watching Foxhole's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, the death of social media influencer and entrepreneur Jackie O has been widely attributed to cosmetic surgery procedures that she reportedly underwent in Miami, Florida. Now, according to the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, black Americans undergo fewer cosmetic procedures compared to other ethnic groups. In 2020, white patients constituted 66% of plastic surgery cases, while black patients accounted for just 11%. Tummy tucks, rhinoplasty, breast augmentation, and eyelid surgery were less common among black patients. However, liposuction was the favored procedure, representing 15% of all surgeries. ASPS did not provide data on Brazilian butt lifts, which can be risky when performed by unqualified individuals. Yeah, so, I mean, her unfortunate uh, uh, passing has really sparked uh, or, or put more fuel to uh, the fire in regards to uh, cosmetic surgery and our culture in mm -hmm. particular. 
and you know where we might be emotionally or um, you know mentally when it comes to wanting to change our bodies. I mean, if you you know follow across social media, you see a lot of women who have been very open about their procedures, and they look like totally different women, you know, physically uh, speaking. But as far as uh, reports are, are concerned, a little bit more detail, uh, allegedly or reportedly, um, Jackie O was um, in a hotel, uh, more than likely uh, recovering, mm -hmm. and she was found uh, unresponsive. So still a lot of questions as to what actually happened. We don't know, we don't know if, if we'll ever know yeah. that, that family might choose to uh, keep that private, but they, uh, from what I gather, are just absolutely uh, devastated and uh, the debate continues, to or not to. And if you do, it's really a, a matter of safety. It was blowing my mind that a lot of women, black women in particular, were electing to go overseas. I know, you know, it's supposed to be much, mm -hmm. uh, much uh, less expensive, but when you add in everything that you have to cover, uh, I feel like you might as well stay in the States and have the procedures done. Yeah, it's also important to remind folks that uh, cosmetic surgery is still surgery. Yeah. It's still surgery, and and our bodies uh, can respond to surgeries in all sorts of different ways. Because there are so few black folks that have plastic surgery, mm -hmm. that can only mean that there's not a lot of data in terms of the effects that plastic surgery has on us. We know, for example, when it comes to black skin, that black skin typically keloids mm -hmm. um, more often and more easily than white skin, right? Um, and so this is just another example of how when you have you know, less information available, less data available on black folks, you know, we don't necessarily know how to properly care for folks. And so, you know, um, I hope that there is a growing body of research around plastic surgery and black folks so that, you know, any, um, you know, unwarranted, uh, uh, you know, traumas that are experienced or deaths that are experienced uh, don't happen. Uh, let's move on here. A study published in JAMA Network Open reveals that a common lung function test exhibits racial bias leading to underdiagnosis of breathing problems among black patients. Now, changing the di uh, diagnostic software could increase uh, diagnosis by 40% for black males. Medical practices have long raised concerns about race-based assumptions, including adjustments for test results based on race. These adjustments raise diagnostic thresholds for black patients, potentially limiting access to treatment. Efforts are underway to modify these algorithms, but implementation challenges persist across healthcare institutions. And Courtney, this is pretty persistent. I mean, you know, it's yeah. not just, you know, an issue when it comes to, you know, um, when it comes to being undiagnosed for certain lung issues, but heart failure risk scoring, you know, there's a disparity there. You know, when it comes to determining kidney function, there's a disparity there. And so there are so many examples in healthcare where, you know, uh, we are scoring, uh, you know, the impact on black folks' health, particularly black men differently. Um, and, you know, that's not making us any healthier. That's not helping yeah. us to live with the same longevity as our white counterparts. And it also just proves that, you know, culturally and ethnically, we are just going to differ. And you can't assign us to some sort of general, you know, health rules or beliefs or practices. And I think that goes for, you know, blacks, Hispanics, you know, just ethnically speaking, you know, to assign us to the standard and then treat us through that filter mm -hmm. um, is proving 
uh, to be to be uh, dangerous to to our well-being. Yeah, I mean, how often have we talked about the body mass index, for That's example, right. Right? right? And you know, I've wondered yeah. for years and years and years. You know, like, is this really accurate? You yeah. know, I mean, the fact that according to that index, there are a lot of lot of us, there are a lot of folks in our families that mm -hmm. would, would would be clinically obese based upon the body mass index, yeah. right? You know, uh, but um, there aren't other health indicators that track with that. And so mm -hmm. the fact that that's still a standard, although we know that it doesn't apply quite the same uh, to us because of our bone density yeah. and our muscle density and all that, and so this is just another example of how culturally competent care matters. And why doctors that look like us or just, you know, have the same type of ethnic similarities as us is very important. I've had black doctors, my, my, my new um, doctor happens to be Arabic, but, you know, when I tipped the scale, she didn't panic. She just said, hey, you know, your numbers look good. Just, you know, stay aware of what you're eating and keep it moving and, and, and love and live, you know? She wasn't really startled by those numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Directors Guild of America has reached a tentative deal as the writer's strike in Hollywood heads into its fifth week. They're fighting for an increase in pay and residuals for streaming content. The historic deal for the Directors Guild includes deals for wages, work hours, and even uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, one director says that while this is good news for directors, it adds fear that the writer's strike will last much longer. And there's a new black-owned rideshare company in town, but this one comes with an armed driver and safety gear. Carrie King-Brown, who has worked private security for years, created the Black Wolf app, a rideshare company where the driver is also your personal security guard. Now, the drivers come highly trained and are all former law enforcement, military, or private security workers. I think this might be a great idea. Would you ever take that rideshare app? I absolutely will. <laughs> and would, if it was in my particular town. I yeah. would. Yeah, why would you, you know, take it? Um... The, just the added uh, security and mm -hmm. the trustworthiness um, and just knowing that I am going to get from point A to point B without any uh, issues or, or without any drama. You know, and that's not to, you know, negate uh, Uber drivers uh, or, or some of the other rideshare drivers because I've utilized them and have gotten to where I needed to be very safely. A lot of my drivers, thank goodness, have been very kind and mm -hmm. courteous. The cars are, you know, in good condition. Snacks sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, the cars smell good. They ask you, are you okay? So there's that. But, you know, there have been, unfortunately, some cases that have just been um, horrific. And uh, why not add an extra layer of, of protection? That's yeah, interesting. I mean, this is another reminder of, you know, just sort of the continued debate around guns, right? And essentially we're talking about arming, you know, drivers with guns. But, you know, uh, the Black Wolf CEO says these folks are trained. They're even trained in CPR. And, you know, the CEO uh, was, you know, a former A-list agent for people like Meek Mill and Rick Ross and so many more. I think he even worked for a member of Congress. And so... He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think it may be, you know, worth a try for the people that are comfortable. But by golly, you know, the fact that uh, we live in a time now where uh, we might feel more comfortable with a ride share app uh, that includes armed drivers uh, sure is a sign of the time. But, but yeah, it is. But if, if, if that armed driver is coming to my defense to protect me from some of the craziness that is also happening in this world, uh, I don't have a problem with it.
And by the way, it's not just craziness that impacts us as as uh, riders, but obviously, or not so obviously, there have been a number of drivers mm -hmm. for Lyft and Uber, you know, who have come under attack right. by people in their car. And so, you know, this is a proposed solution for all parties. We'll see. Still ahead, working together to make a difference for black businesses. We'll tell you what the NBA and ESPN are doing to continue their efforts in giving back. That's straight ahead on Fox Souls Black Report. Welcome back to Fox Souls Black Report. Fort Bragg, a North Carolina military base, has shed its Confederate namesake and is now known as Fort Liberty. Wow, the North Carolina base was originally named in 1918 for General Braxton Bragg, a Confederate general from Warrington, North Carolina, who was known for owning slaves and losing key Civil War battles that contributed to the Confederacy's downfall. While other bases are being renamed for black soldiers, U.S. presidents, and trailblazing women, the North Carolina military installation is the only one not renamed after a person. Retired U.S. Army Brigadier General Ty Sedgwell said at a naming commission meeting last year that the new name was chosen because, quote, liberty remains the greatest American value. Some veterans said the name change is a small but important step in making the U.S. Army more welcoming to current and prospective black service members. Do you welcome it or is it like a womp womp? Type, type of type of a moment, not being a little bit more specific and following in line or being in alignment with how other um, bases have been renamed by specific African-Americans. You know, I mean, I, I welcome it because, you know, any sort of name change for a military base, is a change. you know, is hard to do. There's a lot of bureaucracy that governs, you know, how these sorts of things happen. And, you know, we've talked about this movement around, you know, taking down Confederate monuments and renaming Confederate monuments. Uh, and, you know, I've been pretty consistent in, in saying that, you know, I think the people on the ground, the people in, in community, those stakeholders should have, uh, you know, most of the say in terms of how that happens and if that happens. And that appears to be the case right here. But I'm getting like watered down change, you know, uh, the, the, the name changes were sparked by the racial, you know, uprising and quote unquote, the military or society uh, realizing that uh, a lot of these names, you know, held some, you know, very horrible history, if you will, especially against, um, you know, blacks. And so to not sort of kind of fall in the same vein as far as what these renamings have been all about and, and who they've been renaming them, uh, you know, by, just sort of kind of sounds like they really weren't into a name change, but let's just go ahead and do this because this is what we need to do. Well, you know, I mean, if they really weren't into it, I don't think they would have done it. But, you know, uh, you know of course. Well, you got to follow suit sometimes you know, and make it appear as though you are down. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes. But, you know, I, I think it would have been easier for them to just say, you know, this is the way it's been. And so, you know, the fact that they changed the name and that there is some effort afoot mm -hmm. to name this base uh, in a way that makes it more uh, 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 accessible uh, and makes black service members feel a bit more like they belong, a bit more, a bit. Double clip, 
double click on the A bit. That's my point. All caps, A bit. Water down change. All right, black employees are advocating for corporations to donate to HBCUs and it's paying off. HBCUs are finally benefiting as black leaders step up after corporations failed to fulfill promised donations following George Floyd's death. Uh, led by Danielle Robinson, head of community engagement and partnerships for Diego North America. A program was established generating close to $12 million for HBCUs. These funds provide scholarships to nearly 30 schools, alleviating student debt for black graduates. FAMU, that's in Tallahassee, uh, Florida, has already witnessed a significant increase, receiving $5.3 million in donations from foundations. This is really important, especially given that there is a looming Supreme Court decision on affirmative action uh, that's going to affect, uh, you know, black folks, among other minorities, ability to be admitted into colleges and universities. Mm -hmm. um, and we know that uh, being admitted is one thing, but financing your education is a whole nother thing, right? You know, we're still waiting to hear about another Supreme Court decision on the student debt cancellation led by the Biden administration. And so, you know, in the meantime, we need folks in our community to fill the void, fill the gap, right? You know. Uh, for us to become more active alumni in giving back to the institutions that have given us our education. Um, and it shouldn't be lost on our soulmates that there are, uh, our HBCUs are responsible for the majority of lawyers and doctors and engineers, black engineers uh, that, that are working in this country. A lot of them come out of HBCUs. And so mm -hmm. pretty good return on investment when we donate to our HBCUs. I agree. And when you look at the stats, I mean, as African-Americans, we, we bring billions to the table in spending power. So it sounds like the idea of redirecting that money and spending it or putting it uh, in other areas would greatly uh, benefit us in this particular instance is the HBCUs and kind of stop, you know, the waiting game and waiting around for a lot of those big, huge corporations who said, oh, we got you, you know, during the political uprise or the, the, the uh, racial uprise, whether um, that have never really paid up. Um, it's a good look to turn within. I mean, you can still get at them and say, hey, where's the money? But, you know, that's like trying to get some juice. Was it juice from a turnip? Mm -hmm. You know, because if they don't believe, they don't believe. Or if they don't support, they don't support. And I think, again, like I said in the lab with the last story, everybody was in the moment. And, you know, now that that moment has sort of kind of, you know, come down a bit, it's like, where's the money? I mean, can you and believe? And so culturally to come, to come up with it, I think it's a good look. Yeah, I mean, can you believe after, it's been barely three years mm -hmm. since the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and mm -hmm. Maud Arbery, so many others. Uh, and, you know, it's astonishing to see how many leaders in corporate America have stepped back where, you know, they've allowed the right mm -hmm. to dictate the terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was just reading about you know, Mark Cuban uh, at an event, you know, pushed back and said, you know, call it DEI, call it whatever you want, but it's fundamentally good for business. It's good for business. And the fact that, you know, there are corporations out there willing to be pushed around, you know, by folks that want to make it radioactive, you know, I, I, I don't see how they're going to appeal to the next generation of consumers led by a lot of folks that look like us, mm -hmm. that love like us, right? I don't see how they're going to... Uh, uh, lead the marketplace if they're running scared from uh, folks on the right. Just saying. <laughs> but moving along, a Howard University professor, Justin Hansford, led a group of black academics to the United Nations demanding $5 million reparation payouts to black U.S. residents. 
Hansford, along with colleagues from the University of Pittsburgh and Columbia, presented their case during the UN Racial Justice Talk in New York. They emphasized the need to shape our own vision of justice and implement it. Hansford called for an apology and reparations on our terms, stating that the suggested $5 million amount falls short for families who have endured generations of horrific oppression. Yeah, uh, you know, listen, the, 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 the conversation must continue. I mean, I feel like it's splintering off into a lot of different ideas and things of that nature, and I, and I often attribute that to um, there's not going to be necessarily one way. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how to maybe present it as more of a unified, you know, front, if you will, so that so that nobody falls, you know, in the cracks and everybody who's deserving of reparations gets it. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't lead into a lot of infighting. I uh, know, uh, you know, black folks are at odds as to what reparations uh, should be or should not be. Um, but conversations like this and pushes like this uh, still need to continue to happen along a myriad of, of other uh, pushes and policies and, and groups that are being put together to sort of kind of look into this whole idea of, of reparations and then push it into something that's that's tangible. Yeah, I mean, I'm really excited to see you know, the fact that this conversation around reparations, which used to be a fringe issue, mm -hmm. right? This was not a mainstream conversation. You know, that this is a full-fledged movement and hat tip, uh, you know, to Justin Hansford and his colleagues that are leading this conversation right now at the United Nations. Mm -hmm. There's a convening at the United Nations that's talking about reparations for black people here in the United States, and that's no small thing, you know, and while that's happening, you have le local leaders in places like Palm Springs and in San Francisco and my home state of California and Evanston, Illinois, and so many other places across the country that are doing the same, you know, and I, one of the things I dig about what Justin Hansford is saying is, let's practice some radical imagination in terms of how we get this thing done, and let's not allow political folks to dicta dictate the terms of reparations, right? And so it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. And, and speaking of uh, no small thing, it, it is not a small thing to run up in Denver and, and, and run up that score against the Nuggets. The NBA and ESPN have unveiled their champion black businesses initiate during the NBA Finals. Go Heat. You can see who I like. Mm -hmm. uh, this initiative highlights black-owned businesses on ESPN platforms. Featured businesses include Rock City Pizza, Old Vine Florals, and uh, Nilu Gifts Store and straw and wool. These businesses will receive 30 second films and one-on-one -on -one mentorship from uh, Shark Tank stars. The goal is to empower and foster growth for black-owned businesses and their communities. What say ye? I, I think this is great. Look, I yeah. think black businesses out there need a lot of support, uh, and rightfully so. I think we over-index in terms of sole proprietorships. Um, out there. And so while we're supporting black businesses, let's make sure we're supporting all sorts of different types of black businesses mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, uh, help to serve the bottom line over at the, the NBA. Yeah. But I, I think these sorts of initiatives are great. We were just talking about all these commitments that mm -hmm. folks made following uh, the racial justice reckoning uh, that happened in 2020. 
Um, well, it's good to see that the NBA is still continuing to put their money where their mouth is. And I would love the league and I think their partner with ESPN to take it a little further. You've got a, a number of black players, uh, majority, running up and down the court, uh, you know, whether you're a mega f a star franchise player or someone who just, you know, made it to the league, which is a feat in and of itself, um, use their influence, you know. So, you know, as the NBA, you know, maybe um, require them to, you know, choose a black business that they believe in, a product that they're down with, and, and, and have them, you know, endorse it in this 30-second film. And maybe that's a part of the model. Um, or, or have them post about it across uh, social media. That that's the lift, yeah. you know, when you talk about getting everybody's attention. Because if, you know, if, if you love, uh, you know, um, uh, Steph Curry mm -hmm. and he is endorsing or says, hey, yeah, this black owned business or product or service is the bomb. And he tweets about it. He's in a 30 second commercial. They, there you have it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I know folks like James Cadogan, who's the executive uh, director of the NBA Social Justice Coalition. Mm -hmm. I know they're doing a lot of work on the social justice side in terms of getting players more active in the fight for voting rights, among other things. And so it's really good to see the NBA leading in these sorts of ways, advancing both social justice and economic justice. I think some of the other leagues might want to pay a little closer attention. And tap in. Coming up, they're the new kings of breakfast food. We're talking about Snoop Dogg and Master P. And the one and only Master P, Mr. Percy Miller, will join us to talk about their newest brand of cereal. That's coming up right here on Fox Soul's Black Report. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, they're teaming up to change the way we do breakfast. We're talking about Master P and Snoop Dogg. Oh, yes, two living legends. Now, they're releasing a new cereal called Snoop Cereal. And every time Soul made you buy a box, the money is going to be used to support charities like Door of Hope. And the cereal is now set to roll out uh, to stores all across the country. And with many stores expected to see it on shelves later this month, here to talk more about Snoop Cereal and other breakfast products is hip-hop rapper, producer, and cereal entrepreneur, Master P. Welcome to Fox Soul's Black Report, brother. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. First of all, I want to uh, thank all our customers, our fans. We talk about Snoop Cereal. We came a long way. Uh, me and Snoop, this is not a celebrity brand. We're creating a family brand. Uh, they've been doing this for years. Uh, we grew up eating cereal, men. Uh, I grew up on WIC to be able to have our own company and to be able to feed our people. It, it's so important because when we started this out, I want to tell y'all about Philly. We started out at Loop, uh, Loop, which we got trademark infringements from Kellogg, had to take our product off the shelf. Me and Snoop decided to say, you know, even though we lost millions the first time, that we're going to give this out feed families, get food banks, but we was able to come back, get a distribution deal with Post, salute the Post, and now we have Snoop cereal, the food, we have uh, the cinnamon toasted, and then we have the whole grain cereal, because everybody is talking about healthy, this is for you guys right here, so I like, I love sweet cereal, I grew up eating sweet cereal, but we got alternatives for everybody. And so uh, me and Snoop came a long way. We come from here, Bob. That's my brother. This family name we talk about. 
uh, bro, this food. This is bigger than cereal. This is building a family brand. And um, we got, we add diversity to the grocery stores. This is something that never happened with people that look like us. Thank you guys for believing in this movement. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to feed more people. We'll be able to give back. The more we make, the more we give is our model. Yeah, talk uh, a little bit about the charitable organizations uh, that will benefit from the sales when we go out to the stores and, and buy a, a box of Snoop cereal. Yeah, well, you look at Door Hope, uh, Future Bosses, Team Hope, which we dealing with uh, helping the elderly. Uh, when you talk about uh, future bosses, it's creating future leaders. And Dora Hope, we're tackling uh, homelessness. So when you buy a box of new cereal, you're making a difference with us. Also, I want to let y'all know we built a curriculum, but we got characters. Captain Ace, Captain Ace is the Kobe Bryant of uh, cereal. <laughs> and what's so great about him? Yeah. Look, let me tell you guys, we you're right going all out, Percy. On, on characters, you're going to see this cartoons. But let me tell you something about Captain Ace, right? He's a black pilot. Uh, when you look at the aviation, we created a curriculum. Now we have hip hop songs that are educational with books to go with this product. So while you're in stereo, you'll be able to read the books and you'll be able to now have Captain Ace product that's owned by people that look like us, which I told y'all, Aunt your mom and Uncle Ben, we thought that we owned that. Mm. But we didn't. So me and Snoop are going to change the game and open the doors for so many other African-Americans uh, to be able to make their own products and create and get their products onto the shelves in the grocery stores. So I, I, my whole thing is they can have the street. We're taking over the grocery stores. I love that. Taking over the grocery stores. And I love the, the connection to curriculum. Yeah. And so, yes. you know, parents, you know, and loved ones can, you know, read about the characters that they see on the cereal box. I mean, you all put a lot of thought and intention into this, you know, and you've had so much success with rap snacks. Changed the game for me. Yeah. Right. I love the Migos yeah. flavor, by the way, Mr. Miller. A little, little sour yes. cream well, you with know, a touch James of ranch. I love it. Flavor, man. He understands taste. And that's what I was able to do with this cereal. Uh, even though the packages look nice, the flavor and the taste is so great, and that's important. You can buy this out of brown paper bag, and you can say, I want Snoop cereal. I'm going back and buy it again. <laughs> uh, also, oatmeal. I, I, what I love about this product, this is Mama Snoop oatmeal, and we're going to keep her legacy going because she fed people while she was here, and now we'll be able to uh, feed so many more people and keep her legacy going. We have oatmeal. It's some of the best tasting oatmeal that you ever gonna taste. Well, and, and and real quick, can you share with us a little bit? Like, so why did you go from from music, you know, to to foods, you know, to snack foods? I mean, how does that happen? How does you know a music legend like you decide to get into the business of food. of of food products yeah. with Snoop Dogg? Because think about it, right. Uh, we live in private, we grew up in private, we buy all these products and brands, we never own that. This is the way for us to create economic empowerment in our culture uh, and add diversity onto the grocery stores. I start finding them. When I, when I do create a business, I find a problem. And the problem was there was nobody looked like us in the breakfast food game. Me and Snoop, we the kings of breakfast food because we've taken the initiative to go out to create these brands. We have uh, sweet grain cereal. We have whole grain cereal, we have oatmeal, 
we create so many other products. And uh, I mean, I, I just do what I love. I say, do something that you love, you're passionate about. I grew up eating cereal, and now I figured out how to create some of the best tasting cereal. And it's owned by us. When you look at these Fortune 500 companies, uh, the CEOs, we make up a tenth of 1%. And me and Snoop want to change that as brothers. How come we can't do a positive and come from hip hop? We talk about uh, hip hop is 50 years old now. So look where we're growing. We're getting better. I tell you all the time, product outweighs talent. This product will be around. We're not around. And we'll be able to feed, put back into our community. And I feel like this is a movement to open up doors for other people that look like us, Asians, uh, Latinos, uh, white. Now, when you look at African-Americans, you're going to say that we own our own products and there's good products that we can sell to all cultures. So it's not just about having a black business. We're just saying having some ownership and being a, get, get, being a part of that diversity and then being able to sell our products to everybody. Yeah, we've got the website up now for soulmates to tap in, snoopcereal.com. Uh, Before we let you go, yes. Mr. Uh, Miller, is there a release date on that cereal? When can we start to see yes. it on the, on uh, the shelf? June 24th, you'll be able to get Snoop cereal everywhere. <laughs> and yes, then sir. July 15th, you'll be in Walmart. So go to Amazon.com and order your pre-orders right now. We go look for Mama yes, Snoop. Yes, we are Mama Snoop. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love her. Mama Snoop coming in January. Okay. But the the cereal coming June. You could go to Amazon. You could go to Target. You could go at Elbersons, Kroger's, Ralphs. Go to your local stores. I want to salute Post. We the first black owned company with national distribution. So we changing the game and we opening the doors for other African Americans and Latinos to be able to get their products onto the shelf. My man. All right, Percy Miller, Master P, we love and adore you. Blessings on blessings, and we can't run, wait to run to the stores and get our uh, Snoop cereal. Tell the dog father we say hey, and uh, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate your time. Keep making us proud, yes. brother. That's right, Thank that's right. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, well, Philly provided the vibe at the Roots Picnic Ooh. Music Festival, and there was an iconic reunion. Lauryn Hill, headline Saturday show and brought out the Fugees in what could be the hip-hop trio's last performance. You might remember earlier this year, Praz Michelle was found guilty on federal charges, including conspiracy to defraud the U.S., witness tampering, and acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government. He faces up to 20 years in prison. And R. Kelly is back in the headlines as federal prosecutors are seeking to garnish over $500,000 from him. Now, this comes just two years after he was convicted on sex trafficking and racketeering. Uh, the little over $500,000 they're looking to garnish is being held by Sony Music and Universal Music Publishing. Prosecutors say they will use the funds to pay victims restitution and outstanding fees. There's no word as to how much is being held by the two companies. But according to a 2020 report, his account with Sony held a little over $1.5 million. So many of these really talented brothers that have just caught cases left and right. I mean, you know, when we look at, you know, the, uh, the falling of R. Kelly's star. And you look at, you know, Proz. I mean, who would have ever thought that Proz would be, you know, facing 20 years in prison? Um, and, you know, the idea that Proz, still very young, 
might have performed his final show with the Fugees, uh, that doesn't sit so well either. Yeah, but when it comes to prize, I, I'm, I'm just waiting for the biopic. I'm waiting for the expose, the book or something, because I just want to know how he, you know, went from the Fugees to something so internationally astounding, if you will, and mm. who he was in the room with and shoulder to shoulder with. So that's interesting to me. As far as this R. Kelly uh, case, um, you know, I, I, I agree that uh, these victims, uh, you know, should be paid. That is the way we go about, you know, making peace or making good uh, with folks who have been wronged. And so it's good to see that they're going to tap into some monies. It sounds like some kind of reserve in order for these uh, victims to um, get what uh, is rightfully theirs and they can, you know, continue with their healing. Yeah. Well, up next, it's our favorite segment, Black Excellence, and we're talking history making television. Yes, we'll tell you all about it. Uh, it's uh, journalist uh, Kristen Welker's new gig that we are celebrating and we'll give you more details on that. You're watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back. Well, Meet the Press moderator Chuck Todd is turning off his microphone after spending nearly 10 years on the longest running political panel show on television. That's right, Todd will now be replaced by journalist Kristen Welker. Welker will become the first black host and second woman since 1953 to moderate the show. Welker has worked for NBC for years as a White House correspondent and co-anchor of Weekend Today. That's right, to date, uh, the date rather, of Todd's last show has not been announced, Welker says, this is the honor of her life. Yeah, and, and Todd goes out with, um, you know, it's it's been an interesting ride uh, for him, but you fast forward to this new day with this uh, iconic uh, news program, and it's good to see uh, a, a black woman at the helm. And, yeah. Uh, you know, kudos, and, you know, I'll, I'll watch a little bit more. I'm familiar with Meet the Pro. Who isn't? Sunday mornings, coffee with my dad. That's all yeah. I used to watch. Yeah. Um, but I'll watch a little bit more uh, just, you know, in support and see how she navigates through um, this uh, upcoming election season that is sure to be uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, I used to watch Meet the Press with my dad uh, mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, it's the longest running show on television. It's over 75 years. Mm -hmm. Meet the Press has been... Uh, interviewing our lawmakers and change makers, newsmakers. And, you know, Kristen Wilker really made a name for herself when she uh, moderated one of the uh, presidential uh, debates. Mm -hmm. And she did such an incredible job. She is such an incredible talent. Uh, and so it's going to be great to see how she reimagines Meet the Press, mm -hmm. even just a little bit. I know mm -hmm. it's a big franchise, but uh, reimagine it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Moving along, a six-year-old Louisiana girl is the picture of confidence as she graduates oh, from kindergarten. I love this. Alexis Sims shared her daughter Taylor's photo in a Facebook post, and within days, it garnered thousands of likes, shares, and comments. The pic of little Taylor looking very confident and poised at her graduation even caught the attention of Good Morning America as they were recently featured on that show. Now that now that she's graduated from kindergarten, Taylor is looking forward to her summer break, attending first grade and becoming a cheerleader one day. We can see it now. I know. We, 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 there it is. I was going to say, can we go back to the pic? It was just absolutely uh, awesome to see. And she is sitting there like she is 40. Like she, grown. Like she is 35. <laughs> 
<laughs> and ready to collect a check. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yes. All right. For the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Souls video on demand and any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other black centered content. And don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It's absolutely free. Before we get out of here, can I say happy AKA anniversary uh, to you looking to, real yeah, AKA I, I, like I, today. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, 30 wonderful flavors of AKA Education. Okay. All right. Um, uh, KUO, uh, Kappa Upsilon Omega uh, chapter down there in uh, uh, Aiken, South Carolina. So uh, big ups to us as we uh, continue in the, in the tradition of, of serving and, and being pretty. <laughs> happy, all right. Happy anniversary, ladies. As you can see, I was representing today. Are you representing all caps? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and just to follow up with the weekend, you were in New York and uh, your mentee was honored, yes? Yes, yes, yes. My friend tour, as I like to call him, Tavis Smiley, was honored with the 2023 Freedom of Speech Talkers Award. Nice. So had a chance to support him and also had a chance to uh, attend Wynton Marsalis' concert wow. at Jazz at Lincoln Center. Had a chance to meet him backstage as well. And so it was fun times in New York City. Good deal. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nick Cordelide Corte. On behalf of all of us here at Fox Souls Black Report, happy Monday. Stay lifted. And stay safe. We'll see you again tomorrow.